You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett, here from CorbettReport.com in the sunny climes of Western Japan. So once again, thank you all for tuning in wherever, whenever, and however you are tuning in, wherever in the world you might be. And uh, we have a great conversation lined up for you tonight. But before we get into that, I just want to say mea culpa. I must admit I made a mistake on last uh, night's edition of the program. I was talking about the Eisenhower farewell address and uh, the use of the term the military-industrial complex that he used in that farewell address as he was handing over the reins of power to JFK back in 61. And yet, even though I know it was Eisenhower, and even though, in fact, I've been working on an article for my book, forthcoming book, on that very subject of that very speech... For some reason, I said Johnson repeatedly, <laughs> and uh, luckily there are people out there paying attention, and they did get in touch with me through CorbettReport.com to let me know that I made that mistake. Well, thank you all out there for doing that. I'm glad to, to hear that you're paying attention. And yes, I don't know why I made a mistake like that, but there you go. It happens even to the best of us, even to me. So uh, so just another advisor, uh, uh, proviso for all of you out there to always check into what I'm saying, and uh, please call me out when you hear me make a silly mistake like that. But on that note, let's switch to uh, something else entirely. Tonight on the program, we're going to be talking about schooling and education, which is something that we've talked about before in relation to the work of people like John Taylor Gatto and, of course, uh, the the, uh, Peace Revolution podcast, TragedyandHope.com. We've been exploring this subject in various ways, but tonight we're going to be talking to someone who has uh, written a fascinating book that I hope people will take a look at. Her name is Lorette Lynn, and her book is the, well, aptly and provocatively and humorously entitled Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. She can be found at lorettelynn.com. So, Lorette, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the program. Thank you for the invitation, James. It's really great to be here. It's an honor. Excellent. Well, I uh, am very much looking forward to this discussion. It's not something that we talk about nearly enough, considering how profoundly important it is to every single person in the world, whether they were once a child, are a child, or plan to have a child. I think there could be nothing more important than the concept of schooling. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, we have about two and a half minutes before the first break. So can you give us the 190-second synopsis of who you are and where you come from? Uh, Well, I come from Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in the city, but I don't think you're looking for that much detail. (laughs) I am an advocate for independent education and learning without school. I'm an advocate and a supporter of uh, living and learning without intervention and interference from the school dogma or the school paradigm. And You know, I try to support parents and encourage parents to understand and embrace the idea that we can learn and we can help our children learn and become educated without school and to break free from the uh, false understanding that schooling and education are synonymous, which they are not. So that's basically what I've been doing for the past, I'd say, three or four years now. Excellent. And and uh, speaking of mistakes, I just said 190 seconds when I meant 150. So uh sounds like <laughs> I could use some more schooling myself, um, <laughs> or unschooling as the case may be. So uh, how did you actually fall off the treadmill, as it were? How did you discover what led to the creation of this website and the book and every all the work that you're doing? Well, it, um, I describe it in a lot more detail in the beginning of the book. I have a, a pretty uh, dense uh, preface in the beginning of the book. But basically, when I became a parent, my life 
really changed. It really altered. A lot of things changed. And I know a lot of parents say that. They say, well, when you have a kid, everything changes. But I think something a little bit more profound may have happened. And right around that same time, my firstborn daughter was two weeks old when 9-11 happened. And I was living in New York City. And I didn't know where my husband was. And my baby was two weeks old. And that was his first day back to work. And that had a really profound effect, I think, on how I moved forward as a parent. And then living in New York for those first few years surrounding 9-11 and how the atmosphere changed and the political climate changed and the social climate changed really had an impact on my parenting and, and the choices that I made. So I started to make informed, deliberate choices, and then everything kind of spiraled out from there. I can imagine. Well, let's leave the story there, and we'll pick it up from there after the break. Once again, talking to Lorette Lynn, com, and of course, the link will be in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorporateReport.com. Stay right there. We'll be right Right back after this. All right, friends, welcome back to the program. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. And for the next hour of radio programming, we are going to be talking to Lorette Lynn at lorettelynn.com. And talking about her book, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School, talking about the stultifying government-run education system and what parents can do to escape that treadmill, that trap that puts their children on the very same path that we've all been on for a very long time because we are just steeped into it literally from the moment of our birth. It's a pretty big and overwhelming subject, but it needs to be addressed because I believe this truly is the path towards the intergenerational revolution that will be more important and more profound and hopefully change the world for a better place in much more certain terms than any type of Pitch, pitchfork-wielding rebellion on the White House or anything along those lines. So let's let's start to get into this idea and really what's at stake here. And Lorette, you start your book by saying, I wrote this book because I have come to believe that school is bad for us. That is the simplest mm-hmm. way to say it. And that is a very simple uh, way to say it, but it's an extremely difficult thing for a lot of people to understand since we have all been indoctrinated since our birth to believe that education is schooling and schooling is education. Let's start dismantling that idea. So what what first how do you introduce people to this idea when you first start raising it with them? You know, it's over the years I've evolved because before I talked about home education, I talked to parents about natural parenting and natural birth and you know, just doing more natural stuff with children. So I've always been an advocate for things that are a little bit out of the ordinary and out of the mainstream. When I started talking about home education, it was really just from a perspective that, oh, you know, this is a great option for uh, families who maybe school's not working for them. But the more I researched, the more I, I learned about it, the more I read, I started to realize that not only was home education a good alternative, but it was better in so far as school was actually harming people. And the more you learn about the origin of schooling through history, the more that idea really solidifies for you and you realize there's so much truth in that and truth that we don't realize when we're going through the system ourselves. So when I first bring it up, you know... It depends upon the audience. It depends upon who you're talking to, of course, because you, you want to take more of a gentle approach with people who have never heard of the concept before and, and 
Because if they think you're a, a crackerjack right out of the box, they're not going to hear you anymore. They're not going to listen to you anymore. And this is such an important message that you want it to come across. But there does have to be some veracity there. There does have to be some real strength behind it. You can't be wishy-washy about it. You can't be weak about it. So I find that I have difficulty saying, well, it, it's okay and, you know, school's all right for some people because it's it's just not true. It's just not true. So yes, it is a very difficult little pill to swallow when we first hear it. But as you well know, James, that's how truth is sometimes. Once you have it though, and once you wrap your brain around it, there is simply nothing more liberating than knowing the truth. Well, that is so well said, and it's it's a definitely a point that resonates with me, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners out there who have tried to educate others on various subjects, and it's difficult to overcome people's knee-jerk responses to a lot of subjects that they just haven't ever thought of for themselves. And when it comes to education, it just pervades so much of who we are as, as individuals, since we've all been raised, or most of us have been raised in the school system as we've come to understand it. So let's start breaking down some of the specific points that you talk about in the book about the ways that people are basically conditioned in their school years, including conditioned to accept uh, constant panopticon-like surveillance, uh, conditioning mm-hmm. to accept dependence on out- outside authority for validation of one's own self-worth, conditioned to uh, basically submission to, to authorities, etc. Uh, so many different aspects of this. Let's, let's start talking about some of those ideas. Well, that's really what it comes down to. This is why I believe that school is harmful and school has been harmful for generation after generation after generation and continues to be. And one of the most dangerous side effects or symptoms like you were just saying now is that it's so difficult for people to accept that truth. That is a condition of the conditioning in and of itself. Most of us grew up in this system. It's very hard for us to accept that our entire lives were a trick, that we spent 15 years of our childhood inside of a system that has tricked us. Or it's even more difficult for parents to accept that they are putting their children back into that same corrupt system. And I I even speak to parents that are uh, would consider themselves outside the box, quote unquote, or outside of the mainstream. And they will talk to me about politics and they will talk to me about anarchy and 9-11 and uh, uh, vaccine issues or whatever other issues, controversial issues that are out there right now. So then I introduce the schooling to them and all of a sudden that's shocking. So the conditioning runs so deep and we really need to look at ourselves and say, okay, what have we done here? What, how damaging has this condition, has this conditioning become to uh, society and culture and how long has it been going on? One of the things that you mentioned was getting used to surveillance, getting used to the panopticon surveillance, getting used to validation by an authority. These are all very little and subtle things that this artificial process conditions us for and we accept as real and we accept as normal and we don't see it until someone points it out. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book is point it out. For example, getting used to surveillance, children in school are constantly surveilled. We were, when you and I were in school, and assuming that you went to school as well, Which we I were did, surveilled. Yeah. 
of course, we were surveilled and you just knew that somebody was watching all the time. You you behaved yourself in school and you didn't talk because even if you knew the teacher wasn't looking, you figured she was going to see at some point or the principal was going to see you or some school aide was going to see you. You just got used to the fact that you had to behave yourself because someone's watching, not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's the human thing to do, but because someone is watching. You just accept that from the time you're four years old, someone's watching. Now it's even worse because now the schools blatantly have cameras. Now the schools blatantly, some of them have TSA agents working in there. They blatantly have scanners and metal detectors, and these kids are just perfectly used to video surveillance and the knowledge that someone is always watching and there's some authority figure and that's behavior modification. So they enter into the quote unquote real world thinking that this actually is the real world. So 1984 becomes a reality for these kids. Right. A a type of almost self-fulfilling prophecy, because again, it is inculcated into us from such an early age. But of course, each of us are individuals and we each experience this conditioning in different ways. And uh, for example, in the book, you write about children that that cry at the separation from their parents the first time they have to go to school, etc. Actually, for my own part, I was the youngest of three boys. So I used to watch my older brothers go off to school every day and I used to long to be able to go to school because I I think that was part of growing up for me. So I actually was so eager for it when it finally came. But but something that did really resonate with me from your book was when you wrote about uh, uh, young people who basically decide to go to university just because it is the next step and it's just something they, they actually get conditioned to looking for for people to structure their lives and tell them what to do etc and i can very much relate to that i i went into university straight after high school because it was just it was just the next step for me it was just the next thing that had been laid out and i guess was the most comfortable and looking back i mean there were some good things to i suppose my university education but certainly nothing that i couldn't have taught myself on my own time and saved a lot of money in the process so mm-hmm. i I do I do regret that. So I think everyone comes at this from their own perspective. When you first started falling out of the system, was there anything about your own conditioning from the childhood that really surprised you when you started to examine it? Well, yes, of course. When I first when the idea of home educating my children first occurred to me, I rejected it. And I said, no, that's, that's, that, even that's too crazy for me. And, you know, at the time I was going through my own metamorphosis as, as far as my own preconditioned ideas on society and philosophy, uh, were. But even, even to me, that seemed outrageous. You know, that's, it's just what you do. Your, your kid turns three and a half, four years old. And in New York City, that's how it was. Four years old was, uh, the accepted age to, put your child into the school system and they turn four and that's what you do. You send them off to school and you, you wash your hands and you say, okay, I, I don't know how to handle their ABC. So you go ahead and do it for me and you leave. Uh, when I started looking at the different schools and deciding where my daughter was going to go, that's when things started to get turned around for me and make a long story short. I, ended up deciding to tackle home education and uh, so on and so forth, learning more and more. But at some point, I said, you know what? I don't want my child to be in this same mill. And I started remembering my own feeling of being herded and my own feeling of what am I doing on this hamster wheel? I, you, you go to school so that you can be trained 
to get a job and you're under the impression that you've chosen your career or that you've chosen your job, but somehow along the lines, you've been set up for that. Maybe not specifically, maybe in a very non-specific way, but you've been trained to believe that this is what you do. You go to grammar school and then you go to junior high school and you endure some bullying and you endure some peer pressure and you try some drugs and then you go to college. Well, you have to go to college because anybody that doesn't go to college is just a loser, right? So you go to college even if you don't know what you want to do with your life and you must pick something because if you don't know what you're doing by the time you're in your 20s, you're a loser. And, you know, that's it, you're just conditioned for that. So by the time I was 22 years old, there I was, and I was I had a cosmopolitan job. I had a very well-paying job. I had my college education. I had my career. I was doing great. I was working in Manhattan, and everything was great. And I was very unhappy. But for all intents and purposes, I had it all. But still, I was unhappy because I was in what they would consider a rat race, and I wanted to save my children from that. And, and isn't it sad that so many people can relate to the story that you just told, and yet we've all come to internalize just how normal that is. Well, let's We start... accept it as normal because we're trained to believe it's normal. Exactly right. Well, let's start denormalizing that, and we'll get into that right after this break. Let's take another short breather. Once again, talking to Lorettelyn, com. The Corbett Report is brought to you by the 2010 Video Archive DVD. Buy your copy today at CorbettReport.com. All right, welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again tonight, we're talking to Lorette Lynn of LoretteLynn.com. She's also the author of the book, Don't Do Drugs, uh, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. And we're talking about the, uh, the education system and what it does to children and how parents can escape that. And I think the first thing we have to do is challenge our assumptions and the conditioning that we've been talking about. So just before the break, we mentioned the idea of denormalizing the idea of schooling and education that we've grown up with because it's so important to realize that, in fact, the, the compulsory education system that we've all just come to accept as the normal, the norm for human society has, in fact, only existed in its current form for a very relatively short time when we look at uh, the, the time frame of, of civilizations. So, Lorette, let's start looking at some of that history. And, and for example, uh, in the early 20th century, this was still something that was being argued at, about at the federal level. And you had people like President Wilson trying to argue for why we needed to have compulsory education. And he had some surprising arguments about that. Why don't we talk about some of this history? Well, it was a business move. And most of the states at the time, we're talking about early 1900s, starting in the late 1800s. But at that time, there was school. And a lot of people will say that to me, too. And that's the argument. Oh, but school existed since since ancient Greece and the days of Socrates. And that is true. But it was not the compulsory system that we have today. And it's very important that we understand this distinction between how children historically were educated, even formally educated, even if they were educated outside of the the sanctity of their own family, how that happened throughout history and how it is happening in the artificial process that it exists within the last hundred years, specifically in this country. But we have to understand, first of all, that what the model that we're using now, the compulsory system that we're using now, uh, is modeled after the uh, German system, which was a vehicle for Nazi Germany before World War II. So 
that whole era, that whole uh, section of humanity was conditioned to believe that what Nazi Germany was doing was the right thing. And they supported it. That's how, you know, I read a book recently. I'm going to go into that for just one second so I can round this back. Uh, the book itself, you know, was written in a very mediocre way, but the idea was so profound to me. And it was, how do you kill 11 million people? And the message in the book, the answer was, lie to them. And that's basically how you do it. You lie and you tell people generation after generation after generation that this is education, this is good for you, this is good for your mind, and you let them believe that it's just a normal part of life. And here we are. Now, when we talk about all the things like you talk about on your show, James, and we we are trying to develop solutions for all these things by spreading the truth, but let's ask ourselves how we got here to begin with. How did we get to this place where so much of humanity has just accepted all of these tyrannical things that are happening to us? And the answer is because we've been conditioned little by little by little to accept these things and allow them to happen. So in the early 1900s, the idea of this mandatory compulsory school system was introduced to the country. Most of the states were rejecting it. They thought it was a terrible idea. Education is a good idea, learning is a good idea, but forcibly taking children from their parents and making it mandatory that they must go to school and they must be in this system. And think about that too. Who is choosing what the children are learning? Who's in charge? It's not the parents anymore. It's the state. So now the state gets to decide what every single child is going to learn, how they're going to learn it, and what information they are going to have access to and what information will be kept from them. That is a dangerous idea, and I think people 100 years ago knew that. That's why they rejected it. Eventually, it came to pass because the politicians that wanted to make sure that this that this happened got the businessmen at that time on their side. And if you remember, of course, in history, this was the time of the rise of the businessmen, the Industrial Revolution and the days, the heydays of Rockefeller and all of his friends. So President Wilson in 1909 gets together in a meeting with these businessmen and he explains to them how it can benefit them and the future of their profit margins if they support this legislation. And he says to them, quote, we want one class to have a liberal education. We want another class, a very much larger class of necessity, to forego the privilege of a liberal education and fit them to perform specific difficult manual tasks, meaning that we want to train workers to work for your companies to make you richer and be consumers and buy your products so that they will do exactly what we train them to do. And now, a 100 years later, most parents automatically, compulsively, without questioning it, without thinking about it, say, my child has turned four years old, I will drive them to school or I will put them on a school bus. We don't question it, we don't think about it, we simply do it. And then you have parents that don't do it, and they're considered, of course, fringe and crazy. And think about that, James. I taught my own children how to read, how to write, how to spell. And now that they're getting older, I'm helping them learn about biology and chemistry and higher mathematics. And we're finding tutors and we're learning ourselves. 
with the help of our community, with the help of other family members. And yet I'm crazy, but the people that are compulsively putting their children on a bus... It is a strange spot that we've arrived at, but again, it is part of that, that conditioning, and we keep stressing that word, but that's because that's so fundamental to what how the system operates. Well, again, we're running up against another break. Let's take another short break, but we have a nice long segment coming up to continue our conversation with Lorette Lynn, LoretteLynn.com. It starts with you and me. It starts with you and me. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. Once again, this is James Corbett, CorbettReport.com. If you're just joining us, tonight we're talking to Lorette Lynn of LoretteLynn.com about her book, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. And we're talking about the school system that unfortunately has become the norm for so many of us in society. But there is the bright side of this, that more and more people are becoming educated about the education system and what it's really about, and more people are refusing to go along with it just by default. So, uh, so Lorette, let's let's shift the conversation a little bit. Of course, it is important just to get some of the basic ideas out on the table. So, why don't we try a, a type of dialogue? Um, why don't I play the part of just the typical person who is encountering this type of information for the first time? And why don't I ask some of the questions that you inevitably <laughs> get asked by those people? And you can you can provide some of the responses. For example, I'm sure a lot of parents who are hearing this for the first time might say something along the lines of, "Well, that's." all well and dandy, but I'm no teacher, so how can I possibly teach my children? That's, that, that, that is a very common uh, <laughs> question that is asked of me, and also if I'm a teacher and if I'm myself qualified to teach my own children. But the answer that I have is, you know, it, you have to be careful because I don't really have anything against teachers. I think for the most part, teachers are just people like you and me who go through the school system and think, hey, I really like kids, I'd like to do this for a living, and they go ahead and they become teachers, and it's really just as simple as that. There are bad apples in the bunch, of course. There are there's corruption and there's the teachers' unions and everything else, but that's not on the individual. It's important to remember, however, let's separate ourselves from taking it personally. Teachers are trained to school large classrooms full of children. That is true. As a parent, I don't know that I would be able to do that without having been trained to do it like they want it done. However, that is not what I'm trying to accomplish with my children. I'm not trying to be their teacher. I'm trying to be their parent and the best one that I can be. Helping them learn, helping them discover the world, helping them learn how to communicate, helping them learn how to understand the world around them, and helping them to sharpen themselves and become healthy physically, spiritually, and intellectually is part of my role as their parent. I do not have to be trained in how to handle or how to provide specific information for uh, uh, 30, 40, 50 kids at a time because that is not my goal, that is not what I'm trying to do, and that is not my job. All I need to do is be a present and active parent and understand that their intellectual health is my responsibility just like their spiritual health and their physical health is. That's that's the distinction between what a teacher is and what a parent is and why you can and you're supposed to do it yourself. 
Well, if I can just slip out of my role for a second and uh, slip back into my own skin, absolutely, I, I have to, to second that, because as someone who did spend years of my life here in Japan in the public education system teaching classes of 20 or 30 students at a time, um, I can absolutely attest to the fact that the majority of the teacher's job and what they train for, what they prepare for, and what they think about is how to handle that many children and get them all, you know, somewhat on the same page and handling the same tasks, etc., and uh, obviously, that's not something that uh, a stay-at-home parent would have to worry about when teaching their own children. So I think right. you're exactly right on that. It's more about the process than it is simply about uh, what what is specifically being taught in any given lesson. But Well, James, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it. also to point out, teachers are, especially here... In this, in the United States, and I'm sure it's similar, uh, wherever you go nowadays, because it's the same compulsory system. You become a slave to the system. You have to teach what the curriculum, what the pre-selected curriculum is. Even if you disagree with that curriculum, that is what your job is. That's what, where you're getting your paycheck. That's what you have to do. If you deviate from that, you risk your job or you risk getting reprimanded for deviating from that. And you cannot, it's it's just not feasible. It's logistically impossible to really hone in on any one child's given talents or their unique abilities. You have to teach to the median, which means that the kids that are excelling have to slow down and just wait for the other ones to catch up. And the kids that are lacking that are that are maybe not catching on as quickly have to either speed up or they slip through the cracks which they often do or they just get pushed along and you know different programs that we have that aren't really working so it's really i don't ever blame individual teacher teachers for this problem they're uh, just unwitting victims of the same system unfortunately all right, back into uh, clueless parent mode. Um, well, if, <laughs> if I have my, my children, if I take my children out of school, then how will they learn how to socialize with other children? And, and even barring that, I mean, won't they... Is, schooling is such a common shared experience for so many people. If I, if I deprive my children of that, they won't be able to relate to the people around them. Yeah, that, that is the most common question that home, educa- home educating families are asked. What about socialization? And that is why I dedicated an entire chapter of this book to the socialization question because it is the first question on everyone's mind. And I answer that by rejecting the premise of the question itself. Think about what you're asking when you're asking that. How are my children going to socialize? Is socialization really what you want? Socialization, by definition, is a process of conditioning. That is the definition of socialization. So when most parents understand that, they kind of go, well, no, no, but you know what I mean. I just want them to meet other people and make friends. Okay, so then we're assuming that the only place a child can possibly meet other people and make friends is inside of a classroom with 30 other children that are exactly the same age and most of the time from exactly the same ethnic and social background and one adult for every single day of their lives, for 15 years of their lives. That is a healthy social experience for a child? No, that's not a healthy social experience for anyone. That is a very contrived and forced environment. So the children are making friends, but they're making friends with the only choices that they have. 
When you're outside of that containment, you're in the actual real world where we interact with people and we see people and we meet people every single day. Sure, there are home educators and home educated kids that are not as outgoing as other people. But isn't that normal, James? Some people are more outgoing than other people. A lot of times when people meet my family and meet my daughter, they're stunned that she's home educated because she's just so friendly. And that always makes me laugh because I think, well, (laughs) what are you assuming? To me, it's really the opposite. When you take a child and lock them inside of a building and think about what some of these buildings look like, especially in in the, the crowded cities, the old school buildings, they look like prisons. You lock them inside this cage for 15 years of their lives and you think that's a healthy social experience? You think that's the real world? We spend 15 years trying to prepare them for, for the real world and we never give them a taste of it. It's it's crazy. That's why to really understand it, you have to reject the question. I, I agree completely once again. And of course, it's, uh, it's I mean, do how can we possibly be surprised that bullying is such a pervasive fen- fen- phenomenon for young people when they are locked up in that environment with 30 strangers that just happen to be the same age? And You start to go you know, bananas. Yeah. In many, many different ways. Well, uh, uh, okay, back into my role here. Uh, well, this is all well and good. And if I had the, the time and the resources to do it, I would love to keep my children at home. But I don't. I have to work. So it is the most convenient way to do this. Yeah, this this is uh, this is a little bit more touchy than, than the other subjects because I do understand that in a lot of households, a lot of households today do require uh, double incomes. Okay, and I also understand that there are also a lot of single parent households out there. The one thing that I will start with is that in the uh, 12 years now, about 12 years almost, that I have been home educating, I have met probably thousands of families because not only am I a home educating mom, but I'm also an advocate. And I had the radio show for two years and I did a lot of public speaking and a lot of traveling and a lot of article writing and everything else. So I've met a lot of home educating families. There are many single parent home educating families out there, both single moms and single dads. And we're talking about single working moms, not welfare moms, because that's not usually the home educating types. These are single working moms and single working dads that are out there that are home educating, sometimes with single children, sometimes with multiple children. And the answer in those situations is usually you, when it's important, you find a way to make it work. When you have really got it into your mind and understand just how harmful school can be for your child. You do whatever you need to do to make it work. Sometimes that involves the help of family and friends to babysit while you need to be at work. Because remember, when you're helping your child with academics, and a lot of parents do home education differently. Some are very informal about it and very flexible. Some are more formal about it, but it doesn't matter. If you're, even if you're going to do uh, formal academics, first of all, it takes much less time than it takes in the classroom to spend per day with your child. A couple of hours is really all you really need because you're essentially teaching them how to learn. A lot of it is happening on their own, all by themselves. And that can happen at 2 o'clock in the morning if that works for your family. It can happen at 10 a.m. It can happen at 3 a.m. It can happen whenever you need it to happen. So you do it around your work schedule. Same rule applies for families that require double working incomes. 
Okay, you have mom and dad that are both off to work and they need to figure out how to make it happen. This is how you make it happen. Then when the children get older and no longer require a supervision or a babysitter, then it becomes less of an issue uh, and you just work around that and you find a way to make it work. You have to kind of um, hook up with support groups, whether it be virtual or online, and that's when you start really hearing ideas from other families. You take those ideas and you incorporate them. But the number one most important thing is to really wrap it around your brain and say, this is important. This is my child I'm talking about. This is my child. I am their parent. I know that school is not going to be a healthy experience for them. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. You do whatever you need to do as a parent to make sure that your child doesn't get poisonous food, to make sure that they are physically healthy. And you do whatever you do, you need to do to make sure that they're spiritually healthy, regardless of what your beliefs are, or even if you don't have any beliefs, you make sure that you have those conversations with your child, because you do what you need to do as a parent to keep them alive. Their intellectual well-being is just as important, because that, James is what's going to make the difference in that child whether or not they're going to be vulnerable to the lies and the tyranny when they become older. If you are able to protect them from that now, that's going to save their lives later at some point and save their liberty and save their freedom. So if it's important to you, you find a way to make it work. Exactly right. And of course, it is important, as as you stress there, that just because people are, are homeschooling doesn't mean they're they're all by themselves and there's no one else in their situation. Of course, there are communities of support out there for people in these situations. Let's talk about some of that support and some of the organizations, etc., that people can get involved with that, that help out in this regard. Well, you know, all you really have to do nowadays is Google home education or the term homeschooling. I try to stay away from the term homeschooling for obvious reasons, and I stick with home education. But Google either of those terms, and pages and pages come up, sometimes so much so that it's overwhelming. You have to kind of sift through it and narrow it down a little bit. But if you need help with academics, there's tons, a plethora of curriculum choices out there to help you with academics. There's a plethora of cooperatives and support groups. There's virtual support groups. There's live support groups. And depending where you live and what state you live in, if you're in the United States or even anywhere in the country, it's becoming much more popular in Europe now than it's ever been before. You can find a lot of not only support groups, live support groups, but I live in a state. I live in the United States, okay? And I live in a state that has the most home-educating families per capita than any other state in the nation. Because of that, our community and our city and our environment has responded and the businesses have responded because we have actually become a force to be reckoned with. I can go to the library and find classes being given specifically during day hours for home-educating families. Uh, I can find that in the community centers. I can find in stores discounts being given to home educating families. My children were on a home educating, sw- a home educating family swim team and that competed against the other schools. There's an organization, a sports organization for home educating families that compete with the high schools. So the more and more families that drop out of the compulsory system, the more the community starts to recognize it and the more we become a force to be reckoned with. 
And we have our own organization. We have our own cooperative effort. It's not government run. It's not state run. It's just a bunch of families together with similar ideas and interests. And we help each other and we volunteer. One parent will offer to do a weekly science class with the kids. Another parent will offer to do a weekly creative writing class or, you know, whatever it may be. I teach a speaking and oration class for homeschool kids. So that once you enter into this world, the doors start to just fling themselves open for you and you find more and more support, even if it's just online support, even if you're in a remote area. Some people are in other countries where home education is really uh, not prevalent at all, but they find a lot of support from uh, virtual sources and people online. Absolutely. Well, what an incredible age we're living in. It is difficult to go against the tide, but much of the hard work has already been done for people who are just getting into this. So I think people have to take advantage of all those things that are available. You've been at this for for a number of years now. Have you started to see a big turning of the tide when it comes to this issue among the general public? Yes, just in the time that I've been doing it, I'd say in the last decade, there has definitely been a shift in perspective and there's been a a growth, a huge spike in growth. And I think that that has a lot to do with a lot of the uh, political and social issues that we've been pounded with over the last decade. And a lot of people are making those choices and those decisions. And as a result, of course, the support has grown. So we have even more resources available to us now. And, of course, with the growth of the Internet and access to information, we have virtual schools opening up and virtual courses, and it's just so much easier now and so much more effective to get a good education outside of the classroom than it is inside of the classroom. Uh, Other countries are starting to catch on now. But I think when I talk to uh, home educators that were doing it before me, say, in the last 30 years, they really see more of a boom, more of a spike than I see, because those were the pioneers, the ones that made it possible for us to uh, enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, again, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, so let's take advantage of that perspective. And on that note, we have one more final break coming up, and we'll be back to wrap things up with Lorette Lynn right after this break. One day in Manhattan All right, friends, welcome back. We are in the final moments of tonight's broadcast. Once again, if you have just been joining us or if you've been uh, wondering who I'm talking to, it is Lorette Lynn. That's L-A-U-R-E-T-T-E-L-Y-N-N.com, LoretteLynn.com. Of course, that will be linked up in the show notes for tonight's episode. And, of course, we've been talking about her book, Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School. And I hope you will uh, check that out. But, Lorette, I understand you've done quite a bit of work on this over the, the, the years, including a radio show, etc. Tell people what else you've been working on in this regards. The radio show I did for two years that just ended in August, and I'm actually starting a new show in January. You can find details about that and follow that progress at lorettelynn.com, of course. We're going to be talking, of course, about education, but a little bit more about parenting and uh, social and political uh, titles and uh, headlines that affect parenting and that affect education, of course. Uh, I also did a great deal of public speaking about education reform and home education advocacy. I don't travel too much anymore, um, but I did do a great deal of of writing before that, and I, I will do media and local 
speaking. It depends upon what it is. I have another book coming out in the fall that's more about the logistics of home education. Now that you've decided that you should not go to school, here's what you can do. So that's another resource. And incidentally, James, anyone that would like a copy of Don't Do Drugs, Stay Out of School, it's available in paperback and ebook on my site, lorettelin.com. And I will offer a 10% discount to any of your listeners if they use the code Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. Excellent. And tell people once again where they should go for that. LorettLynn.com, and you'll see a, uh, a tab there that says book. Just click on that or LorettLynn.com slash book, and uh, you, can, you can get it right there. Excellent. Well, I hope people will take advantage of that, and I hope they will be uh, looking forward to the radio show, which you say is coming out in January? Yes, Excellent. in January. Okay, great. Well, I'm looking forward to that, and I certainly hope that we can get you back on the program again in the future to talk more about this subject, because obviously a lot more to talk about, as you say, not just with education itself, but parenting more generally, some very important subjects that do affect so much of the population, even if they don't necessarily think about it or mm-hmm. uh, make that explicit. So, so once again, thank you for all the work that you're doing, and, and thank you again for your time tonight. Sure. Thank you for inviting me. It's been great to be here. Excellent. Well, there she goes, Lorette Lynn. Once again, lorettelynn.com, and I hope people will check that out and obviously take advantage of that 10% discount on the book. Don't do drugs, stay out of school. Once again, use the uh, the code CORBETT, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, for that 10% discount for Corbett Report listeners. And on that note, that's going to be it for our program this evening, but I'm going to be back, obviously, 23 hours from now, same time, same channel, and we're going to be talking to Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network, talking about what's happening in the economy and what you can do to better prepare yourself and your household savings, and uh, hopefully you have some household savings for the future and the future economic storms that are coming. And then on Friday night, we're going to have news and open phone lines, and I've been getting a lot of suggestions this week for stories uh, to cover, news stories stories that are that are coming up so as always i'll stress if you do come across a news story you think would be good for the program please just send in the link through the corbett report contact form and i will put it in the list and we will uh, talk about it on friday night and of course the phone lines will be open for your calls and comments then as well so that's it for me for tonight once again james corbett of corbettreport.com and once again the corbett report is brought to you by you so your support and your purchases of the dvds your subscriptions and your donations are all very very much appreciated So on that note, until tomorrow night, thank you all for listening to tonight's edition, and take care.